Hello and welcome to Women in Strength. This is the podcast that goes far beyond what they teach us in Cert 3 and 4. My name is Rasheen Hawley and I'm going to be spending this time with you every single week, jumping into the real life challenges, the real life topics that we face as a coach, as a business owner, and as a woman running her own business in the fitness industry. I've been in the industry since 2013 where I started out as a sole trader in a commercial space and now I own my own gym here in Melbourne called Barbell Babes Brigade. I absolutely love being in this industry and I love educating and exploring the things that come up on a daily basis. I love to help other ladies really explore their capabilities as a business owner, as a coach and seeing what they can do. Because the thing is, when we create businesses as women, we are unrivaled. We have a power that is so untouchable and I really, really want to explore these topics that quite frankly can stop us in our tracks sometimes. So strap in, we've got lots of stuff to cover. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I have been chatting with this amazing guest just before we've hit record and I'm like frothing to get into this episode because I feel like this is going to go on so many tangents. So I'm joined with Dr. Katie Hadover, the barbell osteo, you know, ruler of many things right now. Um, And we're going to be talking about Gosh, breaking the clinic model, stepping into where she's into now, taking charge of her own career. There's so many things that I want to go down on. So, hello, Katie. How are you? Hi, Ro. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, we're going to get straight into it because I love listening to podcasts where we just get into the juice straight away. So, the first thing I want to kind of talk to you about, Katie, is you know, understand not necessarily where you started. I think that's interesting, but I think it's also more interesting where people are now and then we kind of go on those tangents. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing now, where you're at with your business um, and why you're kind of here. Okay. So I um, I currently run Melbourne West Barbell Club. So that's a weightlifting club um, in Altona. Um, and I also operate um, an osteopathic clinic outside, um, upstairs in that gym, um, mm-hmm. the Barbell Osteo. Um, and I'm also actually managing a CrossFit gym as well. So CrossFit 318 in Altona. So I've got a few things happening at the moment. Um, oh, my yeah. gosh. I'm just frothing because, like, when I first met Katie, like, none of this was going on. And, like, the next edition of managing the new club as well is just, like, I am just loving this. So, tell me a little bit around, you know, you're doing all the things. We've got the Barber Osteo. We've got your weightlifting club. We've got now management of a CrossFit gym. Like, why – how long have you been doing these three things for now? How did we freaking get here? So um, the CrossFit gym is a relatively new addition. So only the last like three weeks um, have I been kind of managing that. It's only been officially announced the last week. So it's been all very fresh and new. Um, But I've actually been running Melbourne West Barbell Club outside of the CrossFit gym, um, inside of the CrossFit gym since July last year. Um, And that's the same with the Barbell Osteo. So when I opened up um, last year in July, we kind of like, launched Melbourne West Barbell Club and the Barbell Osteo as well. So, yeah, it's it's kind of been a bit of a whirlwind eight months from um, working in a clinic, a traditional kind of private practice as an osteopath um, and not doing any weightlifting coaching at all to um, running uh, the club and then having my own small kind of practice where I see patients um, as well, as well as now CrossFit. So, yeah, there's a few things. Yeah. 
Wow. It's been a crazy eight months and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a couple of lockdowns in between then. Yeah. No? Yes, it was. Well, we launched we launched on the twelfth of July last year and we were open for five days. And then we got locked down for I think like maybe six weeks and then we were open for six days and then we got shut oh down again. Gosh. So wow. Essentially, I guess for the first like five months of Melbourne West Bubble Club being open, um, I got to see my lifters face to face like eleven days of that. And then the rest was kind of done on Zoom and done remotely. Um I think we, we caught up outside in a car park a few times for those people that were really desperate. But yeah, it was we weren't actually in the gym premises. So it was definitely wow. time to um, decide to open a business. Yeah. And I'm, we're going to tackle into that because, you know, on paper, it looks like a bit of a silly time to open a, you know, your own club, but yet you're here and yet it's thriving. So my first kind of question from this is obviously you came from a private practice background. Well, like how did you, what prompted the change? Like why are we doing something so different now basically? So um, my background in sport was um, Olympic weightlifting. So I was a weightlifting athlete for about seven or eight years kind of competing. Um, So throughout my studies as an osteopath, I was um, competing in weightlifting. I was coaching weightlifting um, and I was also coaching CrossFit. So that was something that I like always loved doing and I'd done that um, for about 10 years now, I was kind of in the coaching space. But when I graduated um, as an osteopath, I kind of like got into my head that I needed to have like a real job now. And I was like, I'm, I need to like go and have like my real career, which is osteopathy, because I've just studied for six years to yeah. do this. Um, so I kind of like put that on the back burner and just focused on private practice. And I wasn't happy. Um, I wasn't enjoying it. It just wasn't my vibe. I am very much like an exercise-based osteopath and um, I guess the the idea that a lot of people have about osteopaths is it's very manual therapy-based and that just for me wasn't what lit my soul on fire. So I guess I was kind of a bit down in the dumps just generally about that. Um, And then we had the first lockdown, so the very, very first one where everyone like did not know what was up and COVID was this new Mm. Um, and I actually got made redundant from my private practice role. So that happened. And like within 24 hours, I was just like, okay, financially, I don't know what I need to do, but I need to do something because I can't survive right now without a job. And mm. um, just kind of like went into, I don't know, like brainstorm mode. And I was like, well, I'm I'm a weightlifter. I've coached weightlifting. Like, why don't I go back into that space? So I um, jumped on social media and started kind of like promoting coaching um, for weightlifting athletes. And I had like three or four people inquire straight away, which was Mm. really cool. Um, And they're all still with me now, which is really exciting. So uh, I started doing that and I kind of started working in more like the online space for weightlifters. So uh, using my osteopathic skills to kind of help people all over the world, all over Australia um, in terms of like rehab or programming, Mm. warming up or whatever they, mobility, like whatever they needed essentially. Mm. Um, So I just kind of tried to create something that wasn't currently there. So for me, in my experience, um, weightlifting, I never had a, like a health professional that understood the sport. Everyone would just kind of be like, that sounds stupid. Like you shouldn't do that. You've got a sore back, need a rest. And that was, I guess, the point of difference I was trying to highlight was like, okay, I understand that you are not going to rest. You want to do this sport. Let's like figure out a plan and a solution as to how you can continue to do your sport. Mm. Um, so that was kind of like what I was doing throughout lockdowns. Um, and then uh, when everything reopened, I went back to a private practice role and 
I kept coaching because I was like, this is really something that actually just makes me really happy. So as mm. much as it was um, like initially something that financially I was like, I just need to draw from my skills. I need it. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is kind of the thing that I've been missing. Like I've really been missing coaching and like being involved in the weightlifting space um, in that capacity. So went back to osteo private practice, continued coaching. Um, and because um, of the weightlifting kind of uh, situation where I live, there, there wasn't any gyms in the area. So I actually already had a garage gym set up for my own training. So mm. then once we were all allowed back out of lockdown, um, I would have my athletes come to me face-to-face and kind of like train in my little garage. So I'd have like three or four so good. in the garage, yeah. be lifting weights, listening to like Nicki Minaj, whatever. <laughs> and <Love that. laughs> and um, it got to the point where I was like, I don't have enough days of the week to like have you all in because I can't have more than three or four people in because there's not enough space. So mm. I started kind of being like, oh, like I really probably need somewhere that's a bit bigger um, that's got a bit more space and like how I can have you all train at once. Um, and there wasn't anywhere in the West and that was kind of like what planted the seed. So yeah. that's kind of like when I contacted you and I was like, Hey, Ro, I think I want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like there's a few things that's actually coming to me. That's like, okay, well I knew about it, but I didn't know some of the details. So when you started Bubble Osteo, like that was literally like far out. I need to fucking do something. I'm going to jump on Canva. I'm going to do some design things. I'm going to put some feelers out. And like it was just literally like your back was pushed into a corner and that's where you kind of landed. Yeah, like I'd been doing like a little bit of kind of like Instagram education stuff for weightlifters and like yeah. general population, like what is osteo? But when that kind of happened, I was like, all right, I need to like niche down and figure out my message and like really get to work on trying to help people and promote people um, and like put that message out. So then Instagram for me, I guess, was like the first thing that I really focused on. And that has been like one of the best tools for me um, in terms of like getting my message out there. So I really worked on that. um, And that was kind of how I got a lot of the lifters that I work with, um, just from kind of like putting those messages out and then having those conversations and having people resonate with like your story and like the things that you've been through as a weightlifter. And I guess Mm. having that background in competitive weightlifting was helpful as well because a lot of people kind of knew my face from, I don't know, national or state level competitions. So they could kind of be like, oh, yeah, I know that girl. She used to lift. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of rapport already built with some of the people that I'm now working with. Okay, so it's like, thank you, Instagram, for helping. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there is so much. I definitely think in the health and fitness industry, like, obviously, the health and fitness industry is very flashy. There's always so many things going on, right? But at the end of the day, like, holy shit, I wouldn't be able to build a business. You have, you know, like, it's such a big driving catalyst for our businesses. And, like, instead of, like, hating on the platforms all the time, it's like, well, how do we utilize these things to work to our advantage and then know when we need to push and pull back? This is just a question that I am actually don't know the answer to. Like, when you're doing private practice, did you have a number of weightlifting clients? Did you just have a few of them? Yeah. You have a few. Like I had like some Melbourne-based people that were like kind of traveling to see me. So like some people were like traveling like 45 minutes to come over to see me um, where I was based, based off just the fact that they knew that I was a weightlifter and that they'd had had success for like with with the therapist that maybe didn't understand weightlifting as well. Um, So I did have a little bit of a base there, but um, I guess like, I really started to lean into it kind of after the first lockdown and realize yeah. this is what I really wanted to do. 
You made a funny, uh, an interesting comment when you said, you know, coming out of my my studies, I was like, okay, cool. I I need to get a proper job. Mm. Um, I can relate to that so much because like I didn't get into the industry until I was 25. And like to think about coming into coaching and effectively personal training, right? We all do levels of personal training, whatever that looks like, whether we call ourselves a coach or a strength and conditioning coach or whatever we choose to niche down. Did you like, did you personally have a lot of resistance around stepping fully into like, um, you know, really pushing that part of your business. And obviously you do work now in osteopathy, but like, it seems like you've really stepped into the weightlifting side and be like, it's not bad. It's not meaning that I'm like anything less. Did you have resistance for yourself or other people come up with that? Yeah, I think like the way that I saw it, it was like, oh, you've put like six years of your life into this degree. Like, shouldn't you be like practicing within the realm of that degree idea? Um, and like, I just, I knew in my final few years of osteopathy that like, I wasn't loving it. I was like, this is not me. Like, I don't see myself doing this. And, um, I think like the way that I was able to merge weightlifting into osteo kept me being an osteopath essentially because I had to like treat in a private practice manner where I just saw like 15 patients a day, massage, crack your back, like don't get me wrong, that is like, that is an admirable path for so many people and so many people do an amazing job, but that just didn't make me feel fulfilled. Um, So I think like when I say like, I thought that that was what I needed to do in terms of like having a real job, like osteo, like go do osteo things. And then I realized that like osteo is not so much like a method. It's like an idea and it's like a set of values. And like, I don't have to I don't have to be confined to the idea of what people, other people might think osteo is. Like I can be um, a coach and use my osteopathic education to be a better coach. Mm. And I definitely think like I didn't realise the honour or the power of being a coach at that time. Like, and I think that had just come from like the relation, the like the, the experience that I'd had with coaches. Like none of them were bad, but I just never really had like, one where I was like, this is life changing, you know, like yeah. Yeah. literally like shaped my life. Um, and then like being in the weightlifting space and like building Melbourne West and like being around the lifters that I work with, like I, I just, it just dawned on me, like this is actually just like such a privilege. These people could yeah. work anywhere else. They could work with any other person um, and they've chosen to work with me. And like that wow. to me is like such a like amazing thing to have. Wow. A hundred percent. I literally just got chills listening to that because I do think sometimes like coaches, whatever you, you know, whatever area of the health and fitness industry you choose to live in, like they sometimes take it for fucking granted. Right. And like, because our industry is so saturated, there is a lot of stuff going on. Like I'm the same as you. I just think it's such a privilege that people choose to spend time with us, invest their money with us. Like, you know, you would see your athletes multiple times per week. Like they could be doing anything else. Right. And I think when sometimes coaches forget that it can become like, how many more clients do I have spots for? Like, what's the program? Oh, I can't be bothered doing the program. You know, like this is your job. If you don't love it, like maybe then it's not necessarily something for you. Right. And I just love that you actually said that. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship piece of it is like, so huge and I think like as you say like the programming and the admin and the trying to fill the gaps in your coaching roster or whatever like it can be tricky but like at the end of the day it's it is really a privilege like you know getting to like help impact someone's lives and like for me like 
seeing people like change, you know, like their personality literally grows over the time you work with them and they come from being like a meek, um, unconfident person yeah. being like being like a badass bitch, super empowered, like yes. feel confident, take up space. Like those things just make me feel so like just so fulfilled because I, I, I can see the transformation taking place. And yeah. They can't, then when they do look back, they're like, wow. And like to think that I've played a role and that's pretty awesome. It's so cool. It's so cool. And like question about weightlifting, like I'm obviously in the powerlifting scene and like all of those things that you've described about what you experience with your athletes and, you know, anyone, like it's just the same thing. Like it's just a different sport, right? In powerlifting, I feel like, especially when women get into powerlifting, that's a conversation and something that women strive for and want to get involved in. When we talk about weightlifting, is that kind of like, quote unquote normal like do you know what I mean like for me what I look what I see from the outside of weightlifting is that it's definitely a bit more of an archaic sport um you know it to me it seems like it's a little bit more old school in terms of like the methods or the way things run you know to have that narrative coming through of like literal bad bitches and like we're talking about empowerment and confidence in a weightlifting sense like is that like a normal narrative or like I feel like like that, no, I don't feel like it's normal. I don't think it's common in terms of like the other clubs like that I've, I've looked at, you know, like this is a point of difference, I guess, for, for what I've had to develop in our club, because it, it's, it is archaic in some ways. Um, there's a lot of like, I guess, stagnancy in the way people coach. So I've really tried to mold that and like change that and take, from other gyms like uh, your own that like have this great culture, mm. great environment and like bring that into weightlifting a little bit more because I think like weightlifting is like a super hard, hard sport, um, hard on the body, hard on the brain and um, like just having like these open conversations with the athletes and having like an environment where they want to, when they want to show up and um, friendships and all of those things kind of like foster a better, a better experience for them. Mm. Like, will foster like better outcomes for them as well. And mm. that, that's something that um, like I knew would occur if we could kind of get a space where all of our ladies and like gentlemen could train together. But mm. this like it's been really powerful to just watch the tra- like the transition because it, yeah. it to be so powerful. Like the bond that these people have and the support they show for each other but also like how they show up for themselves is just so different now. Yeah. And it's like, this is the, when I'm listening to this, like, and listening to you talk, you know, how you think about like sometimes in a general population setting, let's just say someone's in a commercial gym and they're doing, you know, group classes, Les Mills or whatever, like whatever they're doing from a training perspective, you know, we all feel certain ways about it. But I think like when you watch those people, they're so happy and engaged doing their classes and then they go have coffee. And it's like, to me, it's like we're bringing those beautiful energies in and then molding it with like athleticism because your guys are like, like national level ranked lifters but it's like if you're nationally ranked it doesn't have to be serious or done by the book and I just think it's like this merging of like this fresh energy around culture and bringing even though the general population kind of stuff that happens in you know commercial gyms and then bringing it to the athletes does that kind of make sense when I say that 
Yeah, I think like because I because I um, when I first started coaching, I was in CrossFit, and then I got my PT certificate, and I worked in CrossFit mainly doing PT kind of in that realm. So yeah, one thing um, I always saw when I was training in CrossFit was just like that awesome community, like everyone yelling for each other, supporting each other, like socializing together, and just building those friendships that really do like last a lifetime. And I think like that's what I've tried to draw on the most for for weightlifting. Yeah, like that. It doesn't have, as you say, like it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be silent. It doesn't have to be like competitive and hostile. But I think in some gyms it can get like that. And yeah. like the culture of the sport, because it is such an old sport, but like trying to show that, you know, you can be successful and enjoy your training and like your coach and like your teammates and like have a really fun time, listen to loud music and like mm. all of those things can go hand in hand. It doesn't have to be. I'm a serious athlete, therefore I train alone in my garage um, in silence. Mm, mm. The outcomes are completely different. And yeah. in weightlifting, people would tend to think, like, if they're serious, that they're, they're solo. Yeah. And I just think, like, from what I've seen, like, people training together, like, brings everybody up. Trumps it every time, right? Like, I, you know, I follow a few weightlifting clubs and I know that you're engaged with them in a friendly manner and it's like, did you get any resistance when you first started to bring that energy in? Like, because you've obviously had a history with weightlifting, you know, you've been through the ranks of doing your own weightlifting. Like, did you get any resistance or pushback of you bringing, like, to me, it feels like a very fresh flavor. Like it feels like we're here. I'm doing weightlifting my way. Did people kind of arc up a bit? Like, I can only speculate. No one arced up directly, but there's definitely vibes that you get from like, I guess, people um and I think like initially that really bothered me because yeah. in the sport of weightlifting it's very much like um coaches coach for the love of the sport you you don't make money out of this sport this sport is about like love and giving back and being there and like that's amazing but that also allows coaches to I guess like have a service level that isn't sometimes always enough mm-hmm. so you need to be able to like actually quit my job and like be a weightlifting coach and make a living off being a weightlifting coach. I was like, I, I, I financially I have to charge. And I don't know like how that's going to go in terms of the community. Cause there's definitely, there's still very prominent clubs that are run as non-for-profit. Okay. So, like it's, it's a point of difference. However, there's lots of younger clubs. We call them the young clubs, even though they're okay. trying to be the more dominant clubs that are run in a similar way to myself. Um, and those like club owners um, and coaches were, were like super helpful in terms of setting things up. Like, um, if I ever wanted to have a coffee and chat and ask questions, they were super mm. supportive. Um, but I think like the other piece of this for me um, was potentially like being like a female head coach was definitely a big point of difference also. Mm. Um, weightlifting like is a pretty male dominated sport. Um, and when you kind of go to a weightlifting competition, majority of the coaches are male, um, mm-hmm. 50 plus. Um, there's not a lot of female coaches around. And female coaches that are, like, loud, bubbly, jumping up and down, <laughs> slapping people on the back, like, <laughs> you. I'm, I'm aware that I have a presence when I'm at a, at a competition, but, like, I think that that's why my lifters are with me because, like, that's, that's yeah. the energy that they want. Um, and I can't hide how, like, excited I get when, my, my, when I see yeah. them do something amazing. Like, I just can't, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. I think, like, it's definitely breaking the mould a little bit and hopefully pushing um, – 
some other coaches that maybe don't show emotion or don't have those relationships with their, with their athletes to kind of see that like there's other ways to do things. There's other ways. And that's a really interesting piece that like I remember speaking to you and you were telling me about like I just got educated about kind of the back end of weightlifting from you and I was like, shocked I'm like what do you mean like this is all paying it forward and you know blah 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 but you're in a position now where you have left a private clinic and you are making a living and a very successful living because of what you've set up on a sport that was traditionally these kind of you know thoughts associated with it so I want to talk about that a little bit more like when you went to go okay cool I want to leave the private clinic and I know that I want to get into my own clinic and my own weightlifting club therefore I want to charge I want to give great service level like was there parts in there that were just like challenging terrifying what the fuck am I doing what was like the hardest parts around that yeah super terrifying I think like across all fronts um and I think like my tendency to like I don't know not want to be like not want to big note myself or not want to like kind of um show people or tell people what I could do was like really uncomfortable for me because obviously when you're launching a product or a business you have to be able to be like these are the services and these are the things I can do for you you know yeah there was like a piece of me that um like I was a relatively successful weightlifter but in my head I thought like I've got to make a Commonwealth Games or an Olympic Olympic team to ever be um, a coach that people will listen to, you know, like yeah, that, was okay. that was like subconsciously in my head. And like, I never did that. I did compete for Australia, but like, I never was like on a Commonwealth Games team or an Olympic team. So in my head, I was like, you're not quite good enough to be calling yourself a coach and to be opening a gym. And I think like, I just had to really push past that and dive deep into like where that was coming from. Mm. Um, because I think like, that was just me playing small. And like, if I had listened to that story, this wouldn't have happened. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad that I like worked through that. And I guess that came out the other side, but it's super uncomfortable having to like, I don't know, put yourself out there and really try to sell your product. And um, like for me, I keep coming back to it, but like being that female presence in an industry where there was no female weightlifting mentor in Australia that I could call up and mm. like, hey, how did you do this? Like mm. some successful female weightlifting coaches throughout the world um, and like, I don't have relationships with them. I can't give them a call. So yeah. I was like, there's, there's literally nobody really that I can kind of call up. And like, as much as, um, my male mentors, um, weightlifting coaches are fantastic. Like they haven't had the experience of being a female and it's, sure. it's yeah. super different. And I think like for me, I was, I was trying to battle with that whole thing of like, um, I don't know, being good enough and being, being, giving enough and not yeah. too much and sacrificing myself and like finding that balance. So yeah, it was, it was a really tricky um, process to go through, but also like, I think I just realized that if I didn't do it now, like this was a massive opportunity. There was a massive hole in the market. And if I didn't do it now, like someone else would, and I'd regret it. And yeah, you know, I sleep at night knowing that. So um, my husband was like, you're you can do this you're amazing like I can support us if this doesn't work it doesn't work like like we're going to be okay financially so I was like all right I'm just going to put all of my eggs in this basket and I'm just going to go for it so yeah really glad that I did (laughs) that's so crazy like 
I can just relate to that, like a woman in strength sports as a coach. Like I feel that thing very deeply when you're saying those sentences around it is just different. And I think that's the case of women-led businesses, women, you know, specific strength, women in strength sports. I think there is things that are different, but I don't think we talk about it that much, to be honest with you. For a number of different reasons. I know that when I would start to talk about it, God, I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. I didn't want to call anyone out. I didn't want to make enemies or anything like that. From you being a female weightlifting coach, like what are the things that you've experienced that are different to potentially, you know, other counterparts? Oh, I just feel like there's like a level of intimacy that I have with my athletes that Mm. I don't think that, gets developed otherwise um Mm. like I'm not speaking for all of them but like this is just kind of how like how I feel I guess um obviously so for me my club is made up of like 75 percent female so I mainly Mm -hmm. coach female athletes and I think um that that is because I'm female and I think Mm -hmm. that the female um weightlifters like feel comforted knowing that I've had a period I've had mm-hmm. to make weight whilst having a period. I understand mm. things like I understand like all of that intricacies um, of being a female, the mood swings, mm. like, all of the tough stuff, you know, balancing being a mum and having a job and wanting to train. Like all of those things I think like are just an intimate thing that females kind of get and yeah. it's easier to have those conversations but yeah. it's really interesting also because, like, I, I train a very specific kind of male client. So okay. like, I tend to get um, these, like, really respectful, highly educated gentlemen. Like, yeah. I, I do not get, like, the boy's boy lad in my gym. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't know if it's just my, my coaching style or the energy that I put out, but I don't get that. It's just yeah because the ladies in my gym are, like, you know, like they're the lions, like they're the top of the food chain. Yeah. They're like yeah, yeah, yeah. and shit. And the men are amazing, but they're just definitely But the women are crushing. Like yeah. yeah. The, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's super interesting on reflection. And then I look at like some male led gyms and friends that are male coaches and it's kind of the inverse. Like they tend to have the more dominant male lifters training with them. And then the females are still amazing, but maybe not as dominant as the males. So yeah, yeah I don't know really if that even answers the question. But Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's a really interesting point. Like I don't know if you've heard this before or had this line of conversation. Like when I first opened the gym, um, you know, six years ago and now we're in our new space, like people would say, oh, we've opened a women's gym because of like safety and like support and like almost being segregated because we have to, because we're like these precious little flowers that need to be put in their own space. Mm -hmm. And like, it is the furthest from the fucking truth of why we exist. And although you're not a woman only, you know, club, you have got a heavy bias towards women. And it's like, you're saying that they're the like, they're the lionesses up there. They're getting it right. And I think there is just this narrative that's also put on women-led businesses, women's only gyms or whatever, that it's like our ladies are timid or like we have to be in our own certain space. It's like, that's not, I mean, that's not what, why why we exist. (laughs) Oh my God, no. And like, like in some, I guess, more classical weightlifting gyms, like it's, you're not allowed to wear a sports bra to train. So like you have to have like a top. Okay. So like there's like this archaic idea that like that's inappropriate training attire. And I've had females that I coach who have been told to wear an extra bra 
underneath their top. So they were wearing two sports bras because their breasts were too um, distracting for the other male. And like this, this is stuff that gets said in like wet, like, like, I don't know, weightlifting gyms throughout Melbourne. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That. So, like, that is this complete opposite of where we're at, you know. Like, I want them to wear whatever they want. Like, yeah. I want them to feel as free and as confident and, like, focus on lifting the weights and just being, like, super empowered with their friends and, you know, like, music's loud and we're just all crushing it. So yeah, it's definitely not deliberately created um, as, like, a female-centric space, but it has become that, I think, just because of, like, um, I guess females see our social media or they, they talk to us. Yeah. They see like this energy, like who doesn't want to be part of a badass girl game? Yeah. They're lifting. Absolutely. Them. Absolutely. You know? And it's just like breaking these narratives of training and then also like of what is possible with training environment and what we're doing, right? But then it's also starting to come into this narrative of like woman-led businesses. Like we are seeing so many spaces open up that are driven by women so many like new businesses go and it's just I really do feel that when one of us steps the fuck up like honestly it's just showing other women what is possible and like that we can run shit our own way just like you've done right like from private clinic to your business now you're literally doing multiple things and like I remember when I first started coming into business and I had my own mentors and it was like it has to be this way you need to be a specialist you need to do this and I'm like but I like to do all the things and like I want to go and do like this flow and like this and all this kind of stuff right yeah. and I think it's just allowing this different narrative of what business can be like too do you know what I mean definitely and like just being able to be in control of your own shit and like I don't know, making your life or your lifestyle or your career like fit to what suits you, you know, so that you do have that flexibility. Like if I do decide I want to have a child, like I can be like, all right, cool, this is what I need to do and I can manage that um, mm. versus like having to just run it a historically correct way based off like what's been done in the past. Like, mm. it's, like quite, it's quite cool to be able to step into that and change it up a little bit and like, I don't know, be like, I never wanted to own a business ever. Like, I, the idea Excuse of me, what? Excuse me, what? I know. Like, tax and finances and, like, managing staff, I was like, no, like, no way, never, literally. And then one day I was like, if I want to do what I want to do with, like, a weightlifting club, um, that's going to have to happen. Like, I'm going to have to educate be my myself. thing. Like, yeah. I have to learn. And, like, maybe that's not my natural bias and, like, I had to work hard to understand those things and I'm still working on those things, but you know, like I'm glad that I did because it would have been easy for me to think, oh, it's a, it's a male thing to like own a business and do the finances. So like I'll just I'll just stay as an employee forever. But I mm -hmm. would have been miserable, you know. So yeah, like, yeah. So you got to learn the things and like start to adopt and and create your own identity of a business owner yeah. and like you know forge your skill sets and all of that kind of stuff because you have gone from from a model that is an employee model yeah. of a clinic model and like I just wanted to quickly talk about now like that model and then the transition to where you are now because when I first spoke to you like I didn't realize how poor it was in terms of like I don't know like benefits or what you get back for so much study like I was genuinely so shocked that you had studied for that many years and you know, the opportunities that were coming from it were quite shocking, to be honest. So when you went from the clinic model, it sounds like it, you know, wasn't gelling, it wasn't your vibe. What, what, like when you then came into your own space, like 
how did you make it happen? Like I'm hearing that obviously your, your husband now is just so fucking supportive. Like that's obviously a piece there, but like, how did we actually get here apart from all of these lockdowns for you to be like, I'm going to break this fucking model. I'm done with the hour to hour to actually go, you know what? Now I'm doing multiple things. Yeah. I think like I had, um, weightlifting coaching as like kind of the buffer piece, let's say. So like okay. I had that as like my first, like to, to break even, to be able to pay the rent and the bills for the clinic and the gym. Like that was kind of covering that. So I was like, all right, I've got, um, uh, we, we ran the numbers and figured out how many lifters I had to have for start date to enable me to like have the space open um, and to pay all the bills associated with that. And that was like, okay, that's me breaking even. And then from mm. there, any osteo work that was like happening was going to be actually like like put to savings to then essentially like create a bit of a nest egg so that if if the coaching dropped off we had a bit mm. of buffer. So um that's kind of how it started I guess and it comes back more so to the to the marketing piece. Like I had um even when I was at private practice I was working online with a lot of lifters kind of like throughout the world and throughout Australia because that wasn't an option um for, for a lot of people. So like I have a lifter who's like in remote rural Queensland and she was like, I don't, I have to wait six weeks to see a physio, but you do online telehealth and I can get in with you tomorrow. So like yeah. I'm going to work with you. So like that kind of happened. And I guess like referrals from those kind of people um, would happen and I would get like, it was a bit of a slow burn, I guess, with like private practice. I'm sorry, like in my practice after private practice, like I, I wasn't really promoting, um, osteo as much and I wasn't seeing as many patients but it's slowly grown and I have um, quite good relationships with personal trainers kind of in the area as well Mm. Um, just from having worked as an osteo and then wanting to refer to a personal trainer Um, Mm. so then that kind of worked in both ways so I would uh, they would send people to me that maybe they were having pain or they couldn't sort something out so then we'd work together so like just basically relationships essentially relationships doing a good job and I guess like for me, it was really important to me that, like, I didn't become one of these people that wanted to see a patient 25 times to fix something. Like, mm. I, I really, like, see my patients maybe two to six times um, because we generally get to the point of it being resolved. Um, mm. And that's, like, the business model that I really wanted to practice off. I didn't mm. want to be this thing of, like, okay, come back in four weeks, blah, 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 because that wasn't, like, that's not the skill set that I had. Like manual therapy, yes, I can do it. I wouldn't say I'm amazing at it. Like if if you want a massage, I can tell you five people to go see because yeah. it's brilliant people. But like for me, this is about education. This is about um, putting a plan in place, rehab, whatever it is that we need to do. So I think like being really upfront initially um, and being a little bit different from maybe what people had seen initially. Yeah. Um, they're very used to like, okay, massage, crack your back, whatever. So to mm. have someone, I guess like, sit back and like we work through um some stress management skills or like uh routine based stuff or breathing or whatever it is that they needed like I, I tried to get them to walk away with a skill set or a exercise or a practice that can help with their pain mm. and they they know what to do and they can go home and they can do it and they can do it and they can do it and then if it gets to the point where okay maybe it's not feeling so great and I, or I need it to be checked again or I need to change the exercise they come back in yeah um, and being like hey okay I've just clicked this back into place um come back next week same time so like that was kind of the thing that I was trying not to do um, yeah just basically yeah. like what I thought 
I was enjoying more as an Austria. Like I would yeah. see someone like gain confidence and get back to the gym and feel like if their back gets sore, they know exactly what to do and they have mm-hmm. a plan and they have YouTube videos and they go do it. Then them say, I, I saw this person 12, 12 weeks in a row, you know, like, wow. Yeah. And like, <laughs> wow, that's just like coming through so much. Like the messages here are like, you're so clear on like, the style of treatment, your ethos for how and what you're doing with your clients, the outcomes that you want to drive. You want them to be getting back to the gym. You want them to do the things that they love. You don't want to tell people not to train, not to do this. Like you are literally trying to empower people through movement, through treatment and get them through that way. So if you didn't have a very solid, I guess, point around your treatment style, your business, like that shit would just fall over very fucking easy you know, with clients coming in, hey, can you hit this? Can you crack that? Like, you know, if you were not strong on your values and your message and your ethos around your treatment style, your business, gosh, it would be much easier for you to do stuff like that to accommodate them, right? So there's like that massive piece there. And then the other piece that I'm hearing is like, you just went like plan. All right. Okay. How many clients do I actually need? Like, I think sometimes people just realize like think okay cool I'm going to put these things out to the ether and it's automatically going to happen no we need some solid freaking plans under play and we need to be pushing 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 and having worked with you I know how much you've pushed 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 and some of the outcomes didn't get there at the start on the first go that's not how it always works but that doesn't stop us from continuing to push 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 yeah 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 I think planning was like super important and that was like it would have been so much easier to like put my head in the sand and just hope it all worked out. But I was like, I'm not going to like jump ship into a completely new space and not know financially what I need to do to be able to pay rent because like yeah. I'm willing to sacrifice like where my family, like my family situation that like for this business, like I want to make sure this business can like live and breathe on its own first. Yeah. We got it to the point where it could. Um, so then when we made that shift, it was like a lot less scary. It was, it yeah. was a bit more exciting because I was like, all right, I know A plus B equals C and I know how to get there and yeah. like I have a plan around that. So that really helped. Yeah. And it does, right? Like I think sometimes people will be like, oh, especially coaches and when they're making decisions with their business, it's like, just fucking go for it and take the risk. And I'm like, I don't think business is risky by any means. If you plan properly, if someone, if someone thinks it's risky, it's like, I just think they haven't asked the right questions to understand the metrics of what they're chasing. And like with you, I know for me, people will all like think, oh, I just make decisions and I go for it. No, no, we both of us plan so much in the back end. We ain't making rash decisions around here. <laughs> yeah, everything is like highly deliberated and pros and cons lists and, you know, like yeah. conversations with smart people. And like, I think the biggest thing for me was like getting the help that I knew that I needed. Like that's like when I initially reached out to you, like I was like, oh, I want to do this and I don't know what it looks like and I want to like Mm. go through it and break it down and figure out what works best. And like initially when I first spoke to you, I was like, I want my own gym. I want it all my own. And then Mm. as we went through the process, I was like, you know what? I actually don't need that at this point. Like Mm -hmm. harder for me to share a space with somebody if there's some, if someone allows it. And like that was a better option straight away. And it's put us in a, a lot less, I suppose, risky situation because we're, we're, we're subleasing and we're working with a current like gym mm-hmm. so like that was something that I didn't even think could have happened and was an option right yeah yeah from the outside it just looks cool like okay I've been a coach for 10 years I'm gonna open a gym when it's mm. like no there's actually so many other options of like ways that I could have done it and I didn't even realize that until I started kind of really yeah 
And that, that's the yeah. cool thing because now, like, if we think about eight months at yeah. Marvel West, yeah, and we're now in a position where you took that sidestep where after us discussing, is it a gym? Is that going to get you to the overall outcomes? No, I don't actually need to do that. Now it's the next level. Okay, what's the next option, you know? And then it, it's not like you can't make all decisions at point A to get to point Z because B, C, D, E, you learn something along the way and then the trajectory will potentially change. Yeah, so. like having like those steps planned out and like knowing what like 2022 looks like. Like, for example, we just like brought on a, a, an assistant coach and like I knew that I had to do that before I did the next thing and the next, yeah. thing, the next thing. And like if I hadn't have, I guess, like planned for that, it could have been like a bit of a mess because, you know, like you get excited and you want to do everything at once. So it's like, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this. Yeah. And you <laughs> no time and you're completely burned out. And yeah, it can be a bit of a mess. So yeah. definitely have learned that burnout lesson a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Yeah. I guess my last question that I just really like to, to kind of understand is like for women business owners in the health and fitness industry, whether you're a clinician, whether you're a coach, whether you're in a commercial gym, like what – I guess what kind of advice do you have to someone that is running the business that you've learned so much, especially over the last eight months? Because it's been it's been a lot. What would be one of the biggest pieces of advice that you'd give to someone? I think like doing the work on knowing like what you want as a business owner. Like what do I want mm. my life to look like? You know, because sure, anyone can work 80-hour weeks and be exhausted and make a great amount of money. But like, is that the life that you want to then live for the next 15 years? And I think like there's this whole idea of like, I don't know, work hard and financially you'll be reimbursed and whatever. But for me, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be in a situation where I hate my job again. You know, yeah. I've been in a situation where I've created something that I actually genuinely love being a part of. Um, and I, I, to create that, I had to reflect on what I actually wanted and I had to look at like who I actually am. You know, yeah. easy for me to be like, oh, I can coach a hundred athletes and I've got this limitless like energy, which I don't like I'm capped at 40 <laughs> and like 41 and I'm like, uh-uh, I can't do it. Like, I, I need to also like coach only certain types of people. So like when yeah. I intake process, like I talk to them and say like, are you my person or are you not my person? And like, yeah. not everyone's going to love me as a coach. And like, I feel confident enough now that if someone leaves or someone um, I have to turn someone down on an intake process. It's because it's like for the better of our community and our gym and my mental health and our business, you know, like, wow. but I didn't think that initially, like initially it was like, oh, numbers on like, like bums on seats, you know, like numbers. Yep. Off. And yeah, like the last, I guess, couple of months, I've really realized that like the people that I bring into the gym and the space, like they can have like a really positive or a really negative effect on me. And mm-hmm. If being the head coach, like I have a responsibility to everybody to uphold a certain standard of coaching and energy and atmosphere. So like I have to be like really clear on who I am, who I like to work with and like what that looks like. And I guess like the, the like the last piece was like the education piece. Like mm. I'm the kind of person, like if I don't know something, I go find someone really good at it and I ask them questions. Mm-hmm. I have no qualms paying for that kind of mentorship or whatever. Mm-hmm. That has been the best thing for me because like before working with Euro, I had another female mentor who worked with me on a lot of like the breathing and the rehab stuff. Mm. She was invaluable as well. And mm. Like, mm. those things were literally life-changing. Like if I hadn't have done those mentorships, mm. I'd be where I was now. But I think a lot of people think, oh, like I, I won't invest in that. I'll just figure it out on my own or I'll try to get this answer for free on Instagram and an IG Live or whatever. Like, Oh, know- my God. <laughs> my, head, my head is going because – 
I, um, for anyone that's listening, uh, Steph from Maya Strength Performance, I've had her on a guest and like, I'm not even kidding you. Like if you listen to her podcast, the last question is the same answers that Steph's given. Really? Wow. Like it's fucking I crazy. Get along so well because we think it's Yeah. So- but then like when I was answering the question myself with my own reflection, that's the literal answers that I would put too yeah. because it's like asking for help and it's like defining your version of success. But like we're all doing it, you know, the way that you said and the way that Steph's engaged with it. But I'm just like, this is deja vu right now. Like oh, wow. you're saying the exact same thing. And this, these themes keep coming through. Like you and Steph do different stuff. But in business, like the themes we all struggle with, like we all have the same stuff coming up, which is just so wild to hear you talking about it. Yeah, that's well, great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. definitely. Yeah, so. The education thing is like huge. huge huge I freaking I'm just like yes yes on so many things and I think that the people that listening to this podcast are just going to gain so much insight into like you know where you've gone to where you are and like all of just the thought patterns and like the conversation that's come up because people don't see that like they don't we don't talk about that that much or it's not accessible like we see the people crushing in and we're all doing our success but like it's a hot mess underneath, like, to get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, totally. And I think that's, like, something that, like, I, I've had people be like, oh, you're so lucky that, like, that all worked out for you. And, like, <laughs> like and I'm like, lucky? Like, bitch, please, you have no idea how much work has gone into this, you know? Like, this is not a this is not an accident. Like, this is not a nah. Like, business just happened by chance, you know? Like, nah. I really tried to, like, plan this and, like, you know, very, like, very intentional. Yeah. 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 Really yeah. intentional. So I feel like I need to like at some point look at all the voicemails that have been exchanged between every business owner because I feel like I've listened to your tears and listened to your rants and yeah. listened to your I'm sorry I brained up this on you, row. Okay, bye. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh my god. And the amount of times that I've been like, oh I just need a voice note, row, because she'll know what to do. <laughs> I feel like I might have to do a confessions episode on that in the future. <laughs> yes, well. That was um that was so great. I thank you so much for joining us and I know that our listeners are going to get so much from it so thank you babe so much for having me it was great to chat yay all right babe i'll talk to you later Bye. bye bye